0: I feel like I should almost apologize to all of you and be like, hey guys, I'm really sorry. I'm taking my glasses off and I'm like getting in a really apologetic position right now, but you can't see that. But I'm really sorry because I know I promised a new episode and that we were back for season three. We're totally back for season three. But you know what? You know who didn't get that memo? Benji. Benji and Hurricane Ian. So things have been a little chaotic, and Benji has been in and out of the hospital. He's okay. We're okay. It's quote-unquote just disease progression. But I was going to apologize, but if anyone understands, I know it's y'all. Because we are all medical mamas. We are all used to this. And you guys understand. My therapist informed me that you understand. So there's that. Today was supposed to be one of the many NICU awareness episodes that we had for September because September, if you didn't know, last week and the weeks before that in September were NICU Awareness Month. It was a month that I had scheduled content to talk all about my NICU experience and several others' NICU experience. But September happened and content didn't get out. So here we are the first week of October because October, let's just... From this point forth, we should just assume that when autumn comes, the new season will come back in October because it's autumn. It's officially autumn. Season three should be starting now. That makes so much more sense. So here we are with a NICU awareness episode. We have Meredith back today. You'll have to go back and listen. I will link it in the show notes. Meredith was on for actually two episodes already. This is her third. I think this is a record for any return guests. Meredith talked about her children's diagnoses and how they're a little different. Then in the second episode, she talked about how she's homeschooling her family and how that works with having disabled kiddos. It was a really cool episode, so go back and listen. But today, Meredith is talking about how her NICU experience for both of her children was so different. One of them took place in Germany, and one of them took place here in America. So it's a pretty interesting perspective and a great way for us to kick off the month after NICU Awareness Month. Hi, I'm Susan, and this is When Autumn Comes. Look, sometimes life just looks a little different than we thought it would. This is a podcast for mamas and the people who love them, whose lives were flipped upside down as a doctor looked into her eyes and explained our child's prognosis. Or for the caregivers who get very little sleep as they face symptoms and behaviors that just aren't typical for other children. This is a place where we can take on this journey together, because we know that this can be a sad, lonely, misunderstood path. But we also know that as colder temperatures and darker days begin to appear, so do the golden leaves and beautiful sunsets of autumn. We know that life comes in seasons. We know that in our world, 24 hours can hold so much change that it can feel like four seasons in one day. We are here to help you share your story. Let you laugh, let you cry, let you learn and let you grow. Together with other mothers, when autumn comes. When Autumn Comes podcast is a program of the AperCity Hope Project a nonprofit organization created to empower, encourage, and restore caregivers of medically complex and special needs children. You can learn more about our project at apricityhope.org. Welcome back to When Autumn Comes. Today, we have Meredith, who I went to look up Meredith's past episodes she's an overachiever. This is her third episode. So like, (laughs) (laughs) um, (laughs) Meredith, I'm glad you're back and glad to be back. Thanks. How's the family doing? Everybody good.
1: We're doing great. Everybody is doing really well, thriving. Um, so I can't complain.
0: Good. And getting ready to kick off school.
1: We're getting ready.
0: (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well, today we're not going to talk specifically. I mean, I guess we're talking about our families, but you and I are going to have more of a conversation mm-hmm. about being in the NICU since yeah. September is NICU Awareness Month. Um, I think it's really important for all of us who have been through it to continue to talk about it because it helps other families who are going through it, but also for everybody else who sees us on the street and goes, gosh, what is that mom? What, what, what? Why is she? What's that pump? And where's she going? And has she brushed her hair? And it's a lot, y'all. Yes. It's a lot. It is a
1: lot, and you're typically not prepared for it. No,
0: I will say I was prepared for the second one. I mean, as prepared, both of us are two time NICU moms, which yes. isn't super common. But no, I was I was informed that I would be going for the second one yeah. because we knew Benji's diagnosis. Um, and that, I think, made it quite a bit easier. Mm-hmm. But did you know, because you're your fourth child. Yeah. Just let's refresh. So people remember. Tell us a little bit about your kids real quick.
1: <laughs> OK, so I have four children. Two are typically developing kids. They both happen to be boys and they are my first and third kids. Then my two Children with disabilities are my second and fourth, and they happen to be girls. Okay. The second born is Colleen, and she has cerebral palsy, and we will get into all of her <laughs> Nikki things in a <laughs> in a lot of detail. And then my fourth child is Louisa, and she has Down syndrome. So okay, with her, I we didn't necessarily know that she would have a NICU stay. Um, We were hoping that she wouldn't have a NICU stay. It's not an automatic thing. And she, we did know that she was going to have heart defects. Okay. Um, We'd been following that really closely, but there was still going to be a chance that she wouldn't have a NICU stay, but she did. Okay.
0: In a minute, we're going to explain why your second NICU stay was so different from your first, but you kind of knew what emotions to expect yeah you
1: I knew that it was going to be a roller coaster yeah some ups and downs and temper tantrums Mm -hmm. on my part yeah I was gonna say from Um, the mom from the mom of course (laughs) they were coming Mm -hmm. right along with all of the hormones
0: it's uh it's a lot it it's (laughs) a heavy phase of life and you know, even when you know it's coming, you still have the hormones. And and in my case, I had major abdominal surgery. And so mine too, the staff is seeing you physically and mentally at your worst. And all you want to do is hold your baby and go home.
1: Yeah. All you do want to do is just be in the quiet of your home Mm -hmm. and not have monitors and not be concerned about numbers mm-hmm. and you just want to heal.
0: It got to the point for us that the nurse looked at my husband because he is definitely a numbers person. Um, they, lo- uh-huh. The nurse looked at him and goes, if you don't stop staring at the monitor and start looking at your baby, I'm going to put a blanket over that monitor and you won't be able to stare at it. It's just a different world. It is Unless a Unless you world. have experienced it. Like, I hope nobody, it would be great if no one else ever had to go to the NICU. But it's going to happen.
1: But people will. And we have to also keep in mind that it's also quite miraculous that we have the NICU. Mm-hmm. Because our babies get to, to be here yeah. for a time because of those people and because of those machines.
0: And I often sat there thinking how special of a place it is because you know the worst of the worst happens there, but you also know the best of the best happens there. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those places where I don't know about you, but I had moments sitting in the NICU holding my baby, watching new families be admitted. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, here, you know. They're starting their journey as I was wrapping up my journey. And then I also witnessed, unfortunately, babies passing in the NICU. And Mm. you just see all the things. And like you said, it's a very special place.
1: It is. A lot of uh, great developments going on
0: there. Yeah. Um, So tell us about your military family. We are. And your first NICU stay was very different.
1: It was very different. We happened to be stationed in Germany. Okay. And we were in um, a very small community in Germany. We were stationed at a NATO base during that assignment. So we were not at an American base with an American Mm -hmm. hospital like some people have. Um, So my prenatal care was all off base. with a German doctor and everybody at the time went to the same doctor for OB care. We all just did. That's who you went to. And, um, and so uh, in the middle of the night, one night when I was 30 weeks pregnant, my um, amniotic fluid started leaking, but I wasn't entirely sure that that was what was going on. So we packed up our one-year-old in the car in the middle
0: of the night. Oh, because you also don't have help because you're in Germany and you don't have family. Right. Right. Yes, We don't have grandma down the street. No. So, so
1: we packed him in the car, went to the doctor, Mm -hmm. the emergency room where my doctor was located. And, um, I, was tested Mm -hmm. for amniotic fluid. It was that. And so they put me in an ambulance and sent me to the closest hospital with the Okay, which was about 45 minutes away. And so my husband followed with the one-year-old. Right. And then we spent all day in this hospital. And it, you know, there aren't, a ton of what I would call language barriers there. Everybody was speaking English to me, which was a blessing. Mm -hmm. But there's a huge cultural barrier in Germany in terms of medicine because um, they're very paternalistic in their approach to medicine. So patients don't tend to ask doctors a lot of questions and doctors don't tend to give you a
0: lot of information. Interesting, okay.
1: And so- I was waiting around all day, not entirely sure what was going on. And finally I asked a nurse, you know, when, because my husband and I had had a conversation, you know, maybe they'll just kind of send me home and put me on bed rest, which will be really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what we thought was going to happen. And then I asked finally, what is going to happen? And this nurse said, well, you're not going to leave until the baby is born. Mm -hmm. And I said, but I am 30 weeks pregnant.
0: (laughs) You're like, let me just clarify. So
1: so what does that mean exactly? said, well, you're going to be here in the hospital until the baby comes. And so at this point, you know, I still didn't really quite understand what that meant. I didn't, you no, know, I I guess I probably knew people who had had preemies or who had been in this kind of situation, but not that many people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so a lot of what we were starting to do was just Google things to try to get a sense of what was happening. And even at that point, I really didn't know. He, the doctor decided to keep me um, on bed rest and then came in one day about a week later and said, I'm delivering the baby on Friday.
0: <laughs> You're like, oh. And
1: again, I thought, but wait, I'm I'm 31 weeks pregnant. Um, I, I just didn't know enough to ask why or to see if I had any
0: options. So there wasn't a um, ton of communication in general. No,
1: he would, it was really interesting. He would, my doctor would breeze into my room early in the morning Mm -hmm. and ask me a few questions and, and speak to all the nurses in German. And then he would freeze right back out. And so if I had a question, I had to have it written down so I could ask him Mm -hmm. and stop him from leaving. And um, I mean, it was just fast and furious.
0: And with him talking to the nurses in German too, Mm I don't know if you spoke enough German to understand what was going on. No. Yeah. So, I mean, that is also basically your hands are tied behind your back. Yes. And
1: yeah. I wish I had, oh. if, if I knew what I know now, I wish I had advocated a little bit more just to ask, just to ask why. Okay. Why are you doing this? What options do I have?
0: I think that's fair, whether you're in Germany yes. or America or anywhere. I think, yes. you know, in my my situation, I was admitted at 31 weeks and Lorelai came at 32 or mm-hmm. she was taken at 32. Mm-hmm. And like you, I didn't know anybody that this has happened to. And I didn't know what I could and couldn't ask. And right. I don't know, you know, obviously I haven't given birth in Germany, but culturally here, there is that you can ask questions, but you also don't want to feel like an idiot.
1: Yes. And you don't want to, for some reason, we don't want to feel like we're burdening anybody.
0: Yeah. And I'm the one growing a baby. Right. Talk about burdening someone. Like if anybody's going to be, I'm the one who had to use a a bedpan. We we don't want to
1: be (laughs) too pushy, you know? Yeah. We don't want to be too pushy. We don't want to ruffle feathers. And I understand that like we, we, on on some level, we do need to sometimes keep that a little bit in check for people who are doing so much for us, but I do wish that I had pushed back a little bit and, um, and asked more questions and maybe made more calls to some American doctors just to see, Mm -hmm. um, you know, what should we be doing?
0: Could you have gotten moved to a base, an American base somewhere? Or no, that wasn't an option?
1: Um, it would have been a really, really big undertaking. Okay. But I think if we had really pushed for it, mm-hmm. um, maybe. Okay. Maybe we could have. I don't know. You know, this is one of those things. I don't know that anything would have changed. Mm-hmm. We just don't know. Yeah. A lot of American doctors, once we got plugged back into American medical care questions, um the timing of when he decided to deliver just mm-hmm. because 32 weeks is, is a huge brain yeah. milestone yeah and why did he do that i don't know yeah i have no idea and i there's no way to go back and see
0: and cuz i remember they told us like at first it was okay you need to make it to my goal was 34 weeks. They were like, you just got to make it to – you just, quote, unquote, just have to make it to 34 <laughs> weeks. And then uh-huh. it was, okay, well, if you could make it to 32, that would be really good.
1: <laughs> and Right. Yeah. And that's what they all say. Like, that's a huge moment in brain development. So why didn't he wait? I just don't know.
0: Yeah. But, okay, no so
1: – And I didn't know. Yeah.
0: After um, your baby was born, mm-hmm. baby went to the NICU. And now that you've seen, so when you were in the NICU that time, did things seem different to you or was it also now that you've experienced the American NICU, you can definitely see the differences? Well,
1: I will say that American hospitals are far more swanky and a lot of respect. Let me set up for you I this is what I think always surprises people. So- I am a patient when I show up who is supposed to be on bed rest. Mm-hmm. And the healthcare system there is set up where mostly people don't have health insurance because the state gives them their healthcare. Right. So, for the most people, for the most point, people don't pay for insurance, but some people choose to okay. because of what I'm going to describe. So, um, when I showed up, they didn't quite understand my health care yet. And so they sent me to a, a normal room and this normal room was me and two other women, one of whom had already had her baby. So there were two of us on bed rest mm-hmm. and one woman who had already had her baby and it happened to be visiting time. So everybody's visitors. Oh my gosh. And this was not an enormous room. So um, that's standard. Yeah. And um, so they get my bed pushed into position and then the nurse comes and says, okay, get up. I'm going to give you a tour. And I thought, okay, this is odd because I'm supposed to be right. <laughs> on bed rest. But the reason she was giving me this tour is because I would have had to use a, um, a bathroom in the hallway mm. for showering. And to go to the bathroom and meals, I would have had to get up to go to this floor cafeteria to get all of my meals.
0: Wow. And you were on bed rest. And I was on bed rest. So this is the setup of a German hospital.
1: When they figured out that I had private insurance and what it was, they sent Uh me up to a different floor where I had my own. And okay. then I had, you know, a bathroom inside my room and they brought your meal. Like we have. Right.
0: Help. Right.
1: So. Uh, Gosh. So, I mean, different. and nobody
0: wants to be, not to go into detail, but mm-hmm. after you have your baby, there's lots of blood and things like right. you don't want to A, be using a hallway, B, have a roommate to deal with. Yeah. Like, and
1: the baby. Yeah. Of your roommate. And
0: the baby. Oh, and and the baby of your roommate when, I don't know about you, but for me, I obviously didn't have a roommate in Germany, but I had hallmates that all right. had their babies, and my baby was taken away mm-hmm. to go to the NICU. Like I can't imagine having a roommate or two that have their babies while you sit there without someone in your arms. Right. Ugh.
1: I know. Even here, um, because we didn't know she was the baby was going to go to the NICU, they had the little Mm -hmm. bassinet with the diapers all set up in the room. And I noticed, um, you know, they took me, once we realized she was going to need a little time in the NICU, um, they took me back to recover in my room. And that was still there. And I noticed once I had finally gone to the NICU and come back, that they had, you know, gotten that Mm -hmm. out of the room. It's just
0: triggering. Um, It's so heart wrenching because it's one more physical thing in your face saying Mm -hmm. things didn't go as planned. Right.
1: Mm -hmm. Another thing to mourn. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yes. And so, um, so the NICU there, I think things are just a lot more, um, communal spaces. Mm hmm. Just, um, just the way things are set up. And I actually asked that question to a NICU nurse here, because here, the actual NICU, we mm-hmm. even had a lot more private spaces than mm-hmm. we had in Germany. Uh, okay. There, the NICU was set up in big rooms, and okay. it, there was almost like a path you could tell you were going on. To kind of graduate out of the NICU. <laughs> Interesting. You know, you were going to start okay. in a certain room. Mm-hmm. And you were going to eventually go to the next That's room. That's kind
0: of how it was for us. Yeah.
1: And yep. then on the way out. And mm-hmm. um, I was describing this setup because when you were in those rooms, you were in those rooms with lots of other babies. Right. And lots of yeah. other families. and. Um, So I asked the nurse about that here. And she said that that's how it used to be.
0: That's how, so that's how our hospital here is. Okay. And they, over the, so during Lorelei's stay, the whole thing had, we called them pods. Mm -hmm. And there were probably six to 10 families in the pod room. And uh, after being there long enough, you realize, okay, we started in pod F and that's the pretty pretty intensive like these kids need care yes like they need hands-on all the time Mm -hmm. and then we made our way to uh step down eventually but that's how it was and now they when I was in with Benji they are in the process of renovating and now I think they've shifted completely away from pods and they have individual rooms right and it gives you know in my Opinion. I've never had the individual room experience, but I feel like it has its pros and cons. Mm -hmm. Like, being in a pod, I knew somebody was always around if I wasn't. Mm -hmm. And I know of many babies and children that were in the NICU for a very long time. And I can't imagine having a one-year-old in the NICU still in his or her own room. By themselves, like, so to have the noise and the other people coming and going. I remember when I was in with Benji, there was a baby in a high chair right next to us. And, you know, and that was just that baby couldn't go home yet. And So I I think there's pros and cons for both. I would have personally have loved the privacy myself. Yeah. Because I hated putting like the shield up to pump, and yeah. I know some people don't care, but I wanted the shield. I didn't know what the heck I was doing, and mm-hmm. um, it you know to have your own space makes it more comfortable and maybe a little more normal or natural. Right. Yeah, I think it was really nice for us because
1: we. My second NICU experience was only about two and a half weeks. okay. The first one was ten weeks.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and so just knowing that we weren't going to be there that long and that she wasn't in any kind of critical condition, it mm-hmm. was nice to have that space to just kind of rest you know that mm-hmm. that made it so that you had a nice chair that you can kind of pull out to right. take a rest when you were able, you know, it just gave you a little bit more space, a little bit more peace. And you are recovering from having a baby. And right. So, right. In, yeah. in addition to all of that exhausting recovery time where you are just, you know, if if you are pumping or nursing or something like that, like mm-hmm. just getting into that routine is exhausting after having a baby. Mm -hmm. And to be able to have just a little bit more peace (laughs) to do that in yeah, um, is nice to protect. But I could see what you're saying. If you're going to be there long term, Mm -hmm. having a few more people and faces around, I could see why that would be valuable. I'm
0: curious as a mom who has two kids and has been to the NICU twice Uh versus a mom that has four kids and has been Mm -hmm. to the NICU twice, how is it different? I mean, obviously, your two that didn't go to the NICU are healthy and typical, mm-hmm. but emotion-wise and stuff, I how is it different you, for you?
1: Yes, I have to tell you, so thinking about my third baby, I remember just how jarring it was in a really good way to go through birth with him and that recovery in the hospital. hmm and just how hands off everybody was was just something that I'll always cherish honestly because I mean I, I just knew to mm-hmm. really remember that. <laughs> you know what I mean? After the yeah. experience of the 10 week Nikki's day and just mm-hmm. how how much of an emotional roller coaster that was, and how difficult it was that this is your child it's not that you're made to feel a certain way but you're kind of made to feel
0: yeah that you're not in charge and i had a situation where the nurse told me i'm sorry i'm about to go to lunch you can't hold your baby right now i beg your pardon like, hold on, let me go make you a turkey sandwich. I need you to inhale this because I just <laughs> pumped. And if I don't hold my baby right now, I'm going to have to pump again mm-hmm. when you're done eating your sandwich.
1: Right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I know. And it's it's just another place where, I mean, you just, you're feeling so out of control. And again, like you're just in this emotional valley and that you weren't expecting to be in. Um, and you're mourning all the things that you were anticipating getting to do right after you have this baby. Oh, just delivering a baby and getting to hold the baby. Sorry, you can't do that. So you're told these things over and over. So when I had, after the really difficult NICU experience, when I have this baby and they let me hold him for as long as I wanted to. And basically left the room. The third baby just (laughs) walked in. (laughs) Um, You know, it's so empowering as a parent to get to savor that.
0: Because I've always thought, like, it must feel crazy to be able to walk out, like, grow, grow a human. Uh Uh-huh give birth to said human and then a couple days later walk out without anyone questioning you and taking that human home or honestly i was just floored
1: by how often they would kind of come in and kind of sort of check on him and kind of sort of mm -hmm. check on me but for the most part they were so hands-off and it was wild
0: this is a dumb question are there like tubes or sensors or like do typical Um, babies have to wear the sensors
1: just pretty much right after birth. I mean, they still are trying to make sure everything's
0: everything's good. Good.
1: Um, but no,
0: and then, and then you leave
1: so quickly, Yeah. (laughs) honestly, you know, and for, for a C-section, you have a little bit more time because of you, right? You know, Having to and I don't
0: know how people recover at home from a C section with a baby because I wanna say it was really difficult. Yeah. I got to recover at home and then drive to my baby. Well, I didn't get to drive for six weeks, you know. Right. But you know, I had a little bit of freedom, quote unquote. Not much. Yeah. But like I can't imagine having to breastfeed around the clock right after having a C-section. Right. I just, I mean, that wasn't, I had to pump, but there wasn't anybody crying at me.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, like we've said, there (laughs) are such highs and lows to each one. Exactly. I mean, it was funny. This past Nikki's day, I was so... I just knew the drill. I knew that I needed to get up and walk as soon as possible and fight through that pain because I needed to get to the DICU. And there Mm -hmm. were some really good things about that, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, because I think it did help me. It helped my body recover a lot faster to kind of push myself. And I think that when you don't. Have that a C section? Yeah, is really hard to recover from. Yeah, you know when you don't know yeah. those things. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, I think because I was pushing myself to get to the NICU, mm-hmm. I kind of caused a little bit more <laughs> injury to myself. Yeah. Than- <laughs> I
0: yeah I agree. Yep, yeah, guilty of that too. Mm-hmm. Yes,
1: and so it's really hard to find the right. But you know. Um. yeah it, it's hard to find that right balance
0: I as you were talking about Germany I couldn't help but think about the welcome to Holland poem <laughs> yes and how you know it's like you were thrown out of the plane and you ended up in a foreign country and not only is it a foreign country but they're not speaking your language you have a guidebook for Italy and you literally yes <laughs> entered a special needs mm-hmm. lifestyle in a foreign country. Yes. And maybe we'll call this episode, welcome to Germany.
1: I don't <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, it's difficult because I really don't want to disparage any of what was going on there because these right. people took very good care of us. And you know, my daughter survived what was a very difficult birth. I mean, post birth, she had a brain bleed and that led to Uh the CP that we have. Uh And um, that's, you know, nobody's fault. Right. That's a birth accident. Um, I do question why didn't we wait, but there's just no way of knowing Uh what would have happened if she had been born here. I do think um, there are just a lot of differences in approaches to health care And so Mm -hmm. I think in the United States we should be grateful for what we have for sure. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, There there are just some differences in the quality of care that you get. And I think there are a lot of things to criticize about Our insurance model and...
0: uh, That's what I was about to say. Unfortunately, I think both types of models have their flaws.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's frustrating. But I think what we do get here um, is a huge investment in medical mm -hmm. care. And Mm -hmm. we reap the benefits of that in terms of research and knowledge. And best practices, I, I mean, hands down.
0: And I feel like it's very empowering here for yes. the parents and the patients. And I have family in Europe and I have uh, Mito friends in different countries in Europe. And I feel like our our medical system is very empowering for rare disease families, especially mm-hmm. because we don't have answers. Yeah. And... I am able to have 15 different specialists for my child instead of one doctor Mm -hmm. who kind of funnels a lot of that information. And I'm super grateful for everything that we have available. There's also things that are incredibly frustrating. Right. Um, But I think that that's just the world of all of this.
1: Yes, it is And just a funny thing that happened to us. So when we were in the German hospital, um, so like I said earlier, patients tend not to ask questions. They just expect that the doctor's doing the best that they can. And, um, and so we were asking all kinds of questions. And when our daughter was born, she was having a lot of trouble breathing mm-hmm. and, Our first American developmental pediatrician said, well, yeah, you know, you had a brain bleed that led to the CP and the CP was leading to the muscles needing to learn how to work to help her breathe. Well, that's not what they were speculating about Mm -hmm. in the German hospital. They really thought that she had some mysterious illness. And they were consulting with doctors all over the place, trying to figure out what was wrong with her. Mm-hmm. And um, and I mean, they were just, you know, taking lots of x-rays of her lungs and studying it, consulting with other doctors. And we were asking a lot of questions. So one night, the, uh, the doctor in the NICU brought us into his private office, which they do not do. to sit us down and show us x-rays and explain things and they don't do that for anybody and I didn't know if that was because we were Americans and we just keep asking questions and so they wanted us to just you know just wait um for answers um so later another doctor explained to me that they did that because they thought that based on the questions we were asking we were medical people <laughs> <laughs> that we also worked in some medical profession
0: based on the uh-huh. questions that
1: we were asking. And I said, no, I was just Googling things.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you, you had no cultural holdback on asking. No, so, yeah.
1: I'm asking questions because I need to know answers. That is <laughs> that is my culture. <laughs> I wouldn't know what is going on. With Why are my you child, not exactly,
0: exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, so as two moms sitting here who have been through multiple NICU stays, what would you and I collectively, if we were to talk to a mom who is about to enter the NICU, mm-hmm. you know, she she knows this is coming, or maybe she's already in there and she's listening to this. Mm-hmm. What kind of advice could we give her? <sighs>
1: Feel all the feelings because they're legitimate and, um, try to find they're incredibly
0: important. Yeah. It's important to feel those things.
1: Yes. And ask all the questions that you want to ask and, um, celebrate the birth
0: of your baby. mm. Find the find the joy. Yeah, it's hard to find it the joy. So, it's hard so hard to find the
1: joy. I think I think it's always valuable to to figure out what you can celebrate.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Even I would in say the midst too, like
0: yeah, I would say also getting very loose shirts <laughs> yeah. so that you can do kangaroo care where you put them under your shirt. Like yeah. doesn't work with like tank tops that are tight.
1: No, the button-down shirt.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Get, I started getting, like, yoga shirts, those, like, real super flowy ones, and I'd tuck my mm-hmm. tiny little baby down in there.
1: Accept mm-hmm. um, help because this really is an extraordinary situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not normal.
0: It's not normal. It's not normal at all. And there's not many people who get that. So mm-hmm. try to connect with other moms in the yes. NICU. Or other families in the NICU. Because I will say after two NICU stays, some of the closest medical mom friends that I have were from my NICU stays. Mm -hmm. Because our kids, while they may not have the same diagnosis or the same trajectory at all, these people have been in the trenches with me. And they have seen the good, the bad, the ugly. and. And I can call them up and say, what the heck am I supposed to do? Or I can call them up and say, are we supposed to know what we're doing? Mm No. Okay, good.
1: (laughs) That community is so important because you're all, you've been thrown into a situation where you need to celebrate the fact that your baby's life is Mm -hmm. saved. Mm -hmm. And yet you're so sad because you didn't get the cute pictures of your baby after they were born. You know, Mm -hmm. so you have to be able to share that with somebody and there are other Mm -hmm. people who get it. Yeah, there are other people who get it and can laugh with you and cry with you.
0: And now advice for people who know somebody who's in the NICU. I would say. Drop off all the Chick-fil-A you can. Yes. (laughs) Including milkshakes. Yes. I would say. Don't use the word at least. And I would say, don't use a story of, well, I know somebody who had a 32 weeker and now they're a doctor or a lawyer. Like, oh my goodness. This is possibly the best
1: advice that you can give to anyone. The at least and the don't worries. Yeah. Just stick with you.
0: And you, you find yourself going, well, such and such is a friend of such and such who knew such and such that they're 32-weekers doing great. Yes. So that'll that'll be – it'll be fine. And then you get into this and you go, well, that's not us. No. That, the like, false hope
1: stories, as well-intentioned as they are, I know that they're there to, like, talk you off a of ledge but the false hope stories are actually not helpful. What's more helpful is to say, even if, Mm -hmm. even if.
0: Instead of at least say, even if.
1: Even if we are going to be there for you. And even if you still have a precious baby, even if you have to go through the worst of the worst,
0: we will still bring you Chick-fil-A. We will still bring you Chick-fil-A. <laughs> and you will still love your baby. And you will still love your baby. Mm-hmm. And I think as somebody who's done this a couple of times, the NICU is a hard, hard place. Yes. No matter if you're a feeding grower or a rare disease family, or I'm quote unquote, just there for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. The NICU is hard and ugly and You've got hormones you've raging. Lost
1: something, no matter what, you know. I, I think exactly. You, at, you, yep. you tend to, in your kind of worst hormonal moment, look at the family who has to share your room for a couple days. Yeah, because yeah. they are just there to, for whatever reason, to monitor them because of some, some you know, quote unquote, small thing. And they are going to get to the home in a couple days and you, your worst feelings of jealousy and anger come out because of that. I wouldn't know why. I don't know for from personal experience, of course. But, um, <laughs> but even those families have lost something, you know, they, they had to lose out on that magic hour after birth. Yeah. And they, you know, so everybody in there has lost something Yeah. from the experience that they were anticipating getting to have. Yeah. So, um, yeah.
0: Now I have to ask you the question that we wrap up every episode with. And in this case, I know you've answered it before, but in mm-hmm. this case, let's answer it from the NICU mom perspective. Mm-hmm. Meredith, what gives you hope? What gives me hope? in the
1: NICU or, you know, from this side of the NICU is honestly that idea of community because those are the the people, like I said earlier, that are going to understand completely what you're going through or what, what you have had to mourn. Um, And not just, I guess, the community that you have of other NICU moms, but the true community in your life, whether that's family or friends, uh, mm-hmm. just people who are there to support you. We need each other, and um, we need we need other people in our lives to help and to um, to just share life with. And so, so that is what has always given me help, I guess. In the NICU, is that even in the midst of something like that, you have other people to fall back on. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, thank you for being here. I know that this conversation is going to help other moms who are in the NICU or people who know people who are in the NICU are not going to be saying at least anymore. So keep going.
1: NICU moms keep going because keep going. It, it is so hard and it's so hard to, to keep in mind in the midst of that, that you will get to leave. You will get to have a Saturday that feels like a Saturday again. Instead Mm -hmm. of a Saturday that is just like all the other days where you're just Mm -hmm. sitting in the hospital. Mm -hmm.
0: One day at a time. That's all you can do. Definitely. Right after we stopped recording, Meredith and I were both like, oh my gosh, there were so many things that we forgot to say because the NICU experience is so massive. There's no way to condense it down to a 45 minute conversation. Even in the same country, we all have very diverse experiences. Even in the same NICU, we all have very different experiences. I became really, really good friends with several of my NICU my NICU mom squad, and we now call ourselves the Marketeers. There may or may not be a reason for that, that may or may not involve drinking in the pump room of the NICU. Not recommended, but totally recommended, but not recommended. But I'll let you swirl that one for a little bit. So I would love for anybody who is listening, who has experienced the NICU to either join us in the Win On Come Society and kind of let's discuss what your experience was like. Let's make a list of all the things that we think current NICU moms should know or that we want people to know who are loving on somebody who is currently in the NICU. It is a very different type of hurricane, (laughs) which is kind of ironic because I'm sitting here in the the rain of a hurricane. Um, It is a very different type of hurricane. And I think the best way for any of us to survive the NICU hurricane is to lift each other up. So thank you, Meredith, for being here and sharing your very unique perspectives. And I'm so glad that we were able to reconnect. We will catch you guys next week. I promise. I mean, I promise if Benji allows me, We will catch you next week. Bye, guys.